Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have a great psychologist on here, Dr. Sean Horn, the shame-busting psychologist. Dr. Sean's mission is to bust through shame, ignite hope, and inspire wholehearted living. She's a licensed psychologist, author, and TEDx speaker. In addition to her private practice in Spokane, Washington, she serves as faculty at the University of Washington's Medical School, is columnist for TOI Magazine, and host of Inspired Living Podcast, the one I was on as well. With over two decades of experience in the mental health field, she is now bringing the wisdom of the therapy room to you with online courses for exceptional living at Inspired Living School, which you can find on our website, drshawnhorn.com. This is really fun talking about something that impacts all of us, which is shame. Let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I was on this person's podcast, Dr. Sean Horn, who is just so sweet, so nice, and a powerhouse of in the mental health world. A TED a TED speaker, TED like TEDx speaker, um, just so many amazing qualities that I had to have her on my podcast. Dr. Sean, can you please introduce to my listeners who you are, what you're about, and then we'll get right into the conversation. Thank you, Eli. Yes, I am Dr. Sean Horn. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in Washington State, and I am known as the shame busting psychologist. <laughs> my mission is to tell everybody about shame so we can break it, we can get free of it and really grow into the person that we were designed to be. I love that. And, um, you know, we'll just talk about the first question. You are the shame buster therapist or psychologist. Why is it so important to talk about shame? What is the, what is the big deal? Aren't there other topics that are important? Why is shame so important for us to kind of bring to the forefront? And like we discussed before recording, why it's popular now? Yes. I was introduced to shame when I took a course on shame psychology in grad school. So it was the middle, uh, mid nineties. And when I was in that course, the, the instructor pointed out that research shows that shame is at the core of our emotional and our behavioral difficulties, that they really see it as the prime origin that everything comes out of. And when I learned about that, I thought we have to talk about shame. We have to uncover it so we can discover that we are not who we are saying to ourselves that we are. We attach to these narratives, these stories of I am, you know, fill in the blank. And really those things that we attach to are covering up the beautiful person that we are inside that has been hindered, it's been suppressed, it's been covered to meet the demands of the world around us so we can conform to the world around us. And that way we we buy into those messages. So we must uh, discover this so we can really reach our potential. I feel like a lot of times when I work with people on a daily basis as a therapist myself, um, there's so much internal voices and internal criticism that kind of shapes someone's value system and how they kind of interact with the world around them. You know, classic, we'll go CBT, you know, model of thoughts, behaviors, feelings, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, And it's kind of sad sometimes when you get into that loop of that downward spiral of of shame, how it totally colors every aspect of your life, Um, who you are as an individual, your career, your thoughts, self-doubt, parenting. Um, spouse, your relationship, when 
it, it's it's such a toxic thought process. So can we talk about maybe how shame kind of cr- is created or where mm-hmm. it begins? Because, you know, you know, I'm a parent. I watch my daughter and there are some things that she does and she has no shame. She's a year and a half old. There's no shame in her heart. Where yeah. does it come from? Where does it start? How all of a sudden you're just like, you're not have shame and all of a sudden you have shame. So where's the beginning stages people can be aware of? Yes. What's so interesting about what you're saying is it's highlighting that shame is a social emotion. It occurs when we are faced with other people disapproving us, other people coming down very hard on us and saying, you have violated our standard. The difference between that and guilt is guilt is what I feel, a conviction I feel when I violate my own values and my own um, compass of how I want to be in this life. Or it could be technically you're guilty of an offense or a crime. You are worthy of the blame that you have been found. But shame is different in that it occurs, we experience the emotion of shame when other we violate other people's values outside of us. So we could be fine and have no problem, have no, like I can totally accept my body, think, have no self-judgment. And then I'm going through life and all of a sudden somebody goes, ooh, your body's unacceptable because it's too, too whatever, too thin, too big, too. And then that's when we go, oh, something's wrong with my body. I didn't know that. And then we take that message and we put it in our heart, like a core belief and say, I am a, a, a fat person or too skinny or, or something like this. And that becomes a part we weave into our identity. And then we hold it and we go through life feeding that belief system by filtering out the information. So there'd be someone says, oh, you're you're perfect just the way you are. And then someone says, oh, you're not going to wear that, are you? And then we cling to that mm, one because I love that. that resonates like a tuning fork with, oh no, see, it is true. It really comes from social trauma. So you and I, when we talk about shame, we kind of know what it is. We're familiar with the term, but most people in this world are not. They think shame is this um, like you have done something that is so awful. You shame the name of your family, Shameful. right? You, yes. Like you're guilty of, of a criminal, you're antisocial, you're something that you will probably go to your death hiding, right? Mm-hmm. Cause if people knew about this, it would be so horrendous. But what we're not aware of is that it is in every day of our life in these little micro shames that we experience where people say, haven't you taught your child this or that? Or, oh my goodness, what is going on with your husband? Or, you know, why don't you get a better job? I mean, you know, some message of disapproval that we get from others that tells us that something about us, about how we think, feel, act, what we do is unacceptable to someone outside of us. And that's when we get into the shame spiral. And it really creates self-reproach or self-hate, which is this really strong feeling against ourselves. which a lot of times people think that's shame, but it's the outcome of shame that we just get this self-hatred. So where this comes from is that in it starts in our early childhood experiences where we look to the world to learn about who am I 
Am I as strong? Am I weak? Am I talented, untalented? Am I good enough? Am I lovable or likable? So we look to our parents and our teachers and our our religious organizations as these mirrors that are going to tell us the truth about who we are. And then we take the messages by what they say or what they don't say. Like if they never say, I love you, or if they say, you're so difficult, you know, why and, and label you with something really negative or by how they touch you or how they don't touch you or how they accept you or include you or, or not. And we take that information as if that is God's truth of who we are. We just don't have the mental sophistication as children to realize that how those people outside of us are treating us is about them. It's not about us. It's about their core beliefs, about their programming, their conditioning, their insecurities, their own shame. And so then they will shame dump on us when when they feel some reaction to us. So let's say you have a parent that has shame. And so then they see their children as an extension of them. Mm -hmm. If I'm a good parent, I will have good children. If I'm a bad parent, I will have bad children. And so then the child struggles in some way and it will activate that parent shame. Oh no, what are people going to think? They think I didn't teach my child this. They thought that I am letting this happen. So then to manage that emotion, to regulate that emotion, what the parent will be motivated to do is to control how they feel and to protect themselves from exposure. I don't want you to see it and I don't even want to see it. So I'm going to distract myself by shame dumping on the person that's activating my shame. And that's when they they attack that person you are and start labeling and accusing and things. And then that person feels shamed. I'm unacceptable. I'm not a good enough child. I have made all these mistakes. And then the cycle continues. So the child just doesn't know. They just, they can't, they don't have a frontal lobe yet. So we can't think that, oh, this is my parents' issue. It's unresolved. They, they um, can't be comfortable with me being my own separate human being. And so because we don't know that, we take it in our heart and it's like a sentence. I am guilty of this thing. And then we go through life as if life is the jury in the courtroom of life to gather the evidence to prove that that indeed is true. And the reason, one of the reasons we're so motivated to show that it is true is because it's easier to survive as a child with the reality that my parents aren't unable to provide my psychological needs, my physical needs, create safety for me, love me and guard me, protect me, all those things. It's not that they're not able to do that. It's that it's because of me. It's easier to survive blaming ourselves than it is to sit in the reality that this thing that you need from your parent or environment is unable to do that for you. As a child, that's terrifying that I can't go to my parent for my emotional needs. I can't go to them for my comfort to love me unconditionally, accept me unconditionally that's too hard to live with. So we'll flip the story into personalizing it to endure and to survive and be resilient. Mm -hmm. But as adults, we can begin to to heal that. We don't need to rely on our childhood defenses. We can learn new ways of going about things. Yeah, I love that. A couple of weeks ago, I posted on my social media about how the hardest day in a kid's life is learning that their parents aren't superheroes. 
yeah. right? That we're human. And it's scary for parents to have our kids understand that because we are human and we make mistakes. We have our own stuff as, as any individual, you know, and that's why I'm sure you can understand this very well as a, as a, in the mental health world, as a mental health professional, we don't bring ourselves into an office because that creates counter transference and transference where we're passing along our biases, our beliefs, our things onto someone else who doesn't deserve that and isn't there for that. That's it's yeah. for their health healing. But in our daily life, in the life where we don't have those constraints or ethics or um, worries or concerns about our profession, but more about who we are as a person, it bleeds. It comes out of us sometimes without us even realizing. Sometimes it's so unconscious because we're so, um, we create this pattern of behavior that creates this loop of mm-hmm. this voice. And then we pass it on to others and we say it constantly. We tell ourselves this. I know I do it often enough. And the mm-hmm. funny thing is when you brought up family and religion, my first thought is guilt, right? I'm Jewish. Like Jewish guilt is like a classic thing. Religious guilt is a classic thing. But sometimes it's not guilt because guilt is the internal thing versus the external while shame is the external forces that impact the internal, mm-hmm. right? And it's like being embarrassed, right? Mm-hmm. If you did something in your private home and no one ever saw, you probably would not be embarrassed, mm-hmm. right? If you were drinking water and you spilled all over yourself, but if you were in public and you were in a restaurant and you did that, you might feel embarrassed. You might feel because what other people might view you as. Yes. So how do you break that cycle? Where does the healing come from to help you not be so concerned about the external people who really don't have an impact on your life, who aren't the ones who are living with you every day um, about shame and embarrassment. Mm -hmm. How do we start the healing process to become more shame busting and more involved (laughs) in our daily life to be living with who we are versus what we think other people want us to be? Yes. Before we go to that, I want to highlight two points that you just said. And one is embarrassment is like, in parenting, we want to separate the behavior from the identity. We say, oh, that is not okay to hit versus bad boy, don't hit, you know? And so we want to describe what's not working. So embarrassment is kind of like a description. It's like, oh, in this moment, I have an experience of feeling exposed and vulnerable and I'm embarrassed. But humiliation is shameful embarrassment. So it's a, it's more intense. It's like, oh, I'm humiliated by what these people are saying kind of thing. And as parents, our job is to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kinder. And we're role modeling for our kids that, yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we make mistakes. But then we're also showing them And it's okay. I still have this under control for you. I can still provide for you. I can still guide you, even though I'm having these challenges. And I think one of the problems that a lot of mental health, uh, I see a lot of mental health providers doing right now is that, especially on social media, is that they're trying to um, give this shame-free message that we all make mistakes. We all have difficulties. We all have challenges to normalize the human experience, which is one of the healing steps is that we have to know we belong to the human race. We're not different than other humans. We all struggle. When you have shame, you think you're different than like nobody struggles like you. Nobody has a story like you. You're, you're uniquely flawed. So we have to get rid of that lie and say, you're not uniquely flawed. 
you really do share this human experience with us. Some experiences are more profound or have different violations than others and um, different intensities, but we all struggle. And so as therapists are doing this, they're overdoing it because what a lot of people need to know that you can still be at the top of that pit so you can pull them out right? And so what they're doing is they're jumping in the pit with people going, oh my gosh, this is me. I, I'm, you know, have the worst life ever right now. I'm struggling right now. And I have depression too. And I have this too. And we have to remember how clients are hearing that. And they're like, well, if you're having depression and this is hard for you, how can you help me? Right? So we want to say, I can relate to that. I understand what that's like. We, I've shared that experience in life doing that. And And I can help you get through this. So we want to show that common connection, but remember that we still have to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kinder and not go too deep with people. And I, I see that mistake happening a lot right now. So to answer your question about what do we do to begin to heal this? When we are having shame, we're letting the outside world define who we are. We are giving them all the power to make our world unhealthy or to make our world healthy. We're saying your behavior is making me suffer. And so you're the villain, you're the predator, right? This outside world is victimizing me in some way. And then I flip it and I make that predator and victimizer, I request them to be my hero by saying, and I need you to rescue me by doing this right behavior. So they have all the power. They have the power to make you healthy or unhealthy. As children, that was true. We, we were vulnerable. We couldn't just leave. We couldn't change our job. We couldn't move out. We couldn't t- say stop. We couldn't set boundaries. But as adults, we can. We can become our own best inner parent and begin to self-define. Say the outside world does not meet that job criteria, so I need to fire them. They are not God. They don't know my inner my inner makings. They don't know who I am. And even what I think I am, I have to unlearn those things to really learn who I really am. And this is the life journey. We really are in that process till the day we die of being open and curious to discover our strengths and our talents and our God-given gifts and, and how we can start to live the life we want to live with intention, which is very hard when people have trauma, because one of the symptoms of trauma is that you can't think and plan in the future. If you ask anyone who's been in trauma, tell me what your goal is a year from now, five years from now, they go blank. They, they just are so surviving and they've been so blindsided by life that it's almost as if they don't want to attempt that because it's just going to be hurtful. And and shame is social trauma. It occurred when we showed up in a social environment and we're profoundly wounded. So we, we struggle with that forward thinking and setting that intention. So we need to help rebuild that and really know that every one of us has newness available for us in every day. There is hope in every day. This is where 12 steps, I love that one day at a time. And really get the idea of like, who do I want to be and how do I want to become? And we must know that it is not who you are, is not um, something outside of you. So a lot of people, there's a lot of talk about ego, 
And ego is shame's protector. It's like shame goes, oh no, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. And ego goes, do not fear. Ego is here. <laughs> and, it, and it says, I will convince the world that we are acceptable. And they do it by saying, I am worthy or I am what I do. I am what I achieve. I am what people think of me. I am how much I have. So it's people will attach to how much money I have in the bank will determine my value. What kind of accomplishment, what kind of degree I have or success I have professionally um, in terms of your, your associations, I'm, I'm in the in group, so I'm okay. The, how you look, my face is this, my body is that, so I'm okay. And so we use these things that the world has told us, this is what gives you value. We must unglue from that and get real existential. We got to get real deep and connect with our higher spiritual self of what, what does give us value. And that's where it's so hard to talk about healing with shame without getting spiritual, <laughs> because that's such an existential question of what, what is our value? How do we assign value to people? And if we just adopt this idea that every human life has value, and when we connect with what is positive in us and how we can make a positive impact in this world from that place, we will see the value shape around us of, of what we touch, what we do, how we affect other people, not, not the value as measured by, you know, these things I've talked about, the ego measures us by, they're almost like scales that we stand on, but we got to get rid of that and really be self-directed with our own value system of what, what do I value? And am I living congruently with that? Am I being, if I value honestly, am I being honest? If I value love, am I being loving? So we want to be self. We have to first understand we're part of the human race to know that our value is not defined outside of us. It has to be self-defined and, and people go, but I don't feel it. And this is where I say, it's not a feeling. You don't love yourself because you feel like you love yourself. You choose to love yourself, which means it's an action that you take. When you love somebody, you're kind to them. You, you want the best for them. You give them forgiveness. You give them grace. You try to build them up. You want to enrich their life. You get excited when good things happen for them. This is how we want our inner dialogue to be. That we, come on, I can do it. Get on up. I believe in you. Let's get it done and have that kindness. So we need to correct the inner critic in that way and really uh, be kind to ourselves with that self-compassion mm -hmm. and so forth. So loving yourself is a feeling that you, you're not following the feeling, you're guiding the feeling mm -hmm. with the higher functioning of your higher mental abilities. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are some steps. I love that. that. You know, I really, I really, you know, it hits home with me. You know, I, I do have, we all have shame, right? Myself included. Yes. And recently I passed my LCSW exam um, and it was really exciting. But Yay. I'll be honest, <laughs> during the test, um, yeah. it was the hardest test I've taken with all the practice I was doing. Oh, the questions, yeah. I did a thousand questions in four weeks. I did two practice tests, full practice tests. I was studying. I was working hard. I had no podcast recordings. I was all in studying. And in the middle of the test, I had a mini panic attack in my head of full of shame. This is hard. If I fail, I am going to be blank. 
I am going to, I'm going to be a failure. I am not going to be successful. People are going to be upset. I am going to, and all this self-doubt, all this shame started building, building, building. Cause I was so worried about what other people and what other things might impact internally. Here's what I did. I did two things, which I really connected to what you said. I took a deep breath and said, this is hard for everyone. This is a real test. <laughs> On the piece of paper they give you, I wrote, you got this, take a deep breath. And I, you know, I have to raise my hand. It's a, you know, it's a testing center. I went to the bathroom, washed my face, took a deep breath, took a moment to understand what I was doing there, why I was there, what I needed to do. And then went back in the test and passed. Not saying that was the moment, but I had this very clear moment of, I notice what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Ellie, I see what I'm doing. You need to stop it. It's an active process. And this is what I work on with a lot of clients. People want to change. They want to make differences. I don't like who I am. And I... Okay, cool. But if you want to make a difference and you want to impact something, it has to be active. You cannot just sit back and expect it to change or other people to do it for you, whether it's a therapist, a life coach, um, an Instagram account, a YouTube video. They're not going to change you. They might spark inspiration or motivation, but you have to make that change. And you know something I truly admire um, and a little jealous about is that you are going to have a TEDx talk on on neuroscience or a neuroscience study that you did. And I, I, I love TEDx. I've been a huge fan of TEDx. TEDx, if you you're listening, be there. I would love to be a speaker on TEDx. I you think will. it's a, a beautiful platform and an amazing thing that we're in today that anyone who has, anyone can have a voice to bring knowledge when it's a valid thing to impact other people on a huge level other than just your small community. But TEDx has, TED has created this massive movement of, of knowledge and education. Yes. And it's a yes. huge honor that you get to do that. Can you tell us about what you're going to talk about, if you can. Yes, the, I'm going to be talking about the neuroscience of shame, which what I discovered in all my shame research is that it's actually a neurological response. The shame, the experience of feeling shame is a neurological response, like similar to if you hit my knee and the knee, uh, you know, kicks up, it's similar to that. None of us are immune to it. None of us are free from this happening. If our brain is not given the neurological information it requires for the rules of social engagement, which means when I'm with you, we have social engagement and my brain needs to know right away, am I safe or am I unsafe? Friend or foe, who are you, right? And so it it begins the process of screening that safety And it does it without our consciousness. It's doing it through what we call neuroception. So we have perception, I'm perceiving you, but neuroception is my my neurology perceiving you. So I began to smell you. (laughs) I began to feel you. I began to pay attention to the mask area of your face. So this is a problem if people got Botox and they're not moving their eyebrows. I always say, if you don't move your eyebrows, I don't trust you. (laughs) I move my eyebrows a lot. I know. I'm a very expressive eyebrower. Yes, me too. They're like worms on my, you know, move, dancing, <laughs> the dancing eyebrows. But but we look at that. And actually, when I learned about neuroception, I didn't realize, I kept thinking, 
why do I get such tremendous results with my clients? I would have people come in and say, I have more success with you in this hour than I have in 10 years of therapy. And I go, why? I mean, I'm really not doing any different intervention than what's out there that, you know, anyone that does what I do, I do DBT. If they do DBT, you know, they're going to get the same thing. So why is it any different? And when I learned about this, I went, oh my gosh, this is why. Because the mask area, if it's very expressive, if the eyes are very expressive, the eyebrows, it communicates safety. And the other thing is tone of voice. It assesses the prosody, what they call prosody, which is the intonation. Do you have a lot of ups and downs with your voice where you're like, hi, and is it soothing? Does it have the warm tones to it that my nervous system has associated with safety? And this has to do with the polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges. And if if your listeners um, Google polyvagal chart, they'll see that there's this chart where it has green, yellow, red. We I call it traffic light. The green light is the safety zone. You feel peaceful. You feel rested. So I get to the green zone with a mothering voice. Uh, if it sounds nurturing, if it sounds warm, if it has that tone of delight into it. And I naturally have, my voice is a little hoarse right now, but I naturally have a, a very soothing voice. Like people will say to me, oh, I just feel like I could fall asleep listening to you, you know, and do I, meditation tapes. Yeah, I need to do. Them. And so I think, why? so I've often heard that. And ever since I've been public with all this stuff, that is the one feedback I hear the most. We like your voice. We want more of your voice. And so I realized that my voice activates a parasympathetic response. My eyes activate a parasympathetic response. And so when we are in sync with people, that's the other thing it looks for. It listens to tone and it looks for, are we, is our timing right? Now you have those people where your timing is just off. You're saying the same thing at the same time. And you're just like, why? It's like you're dancing, but you're stepping on each other's feet. And it's just that chemistry, that person just doesn't quite fit your chemistry. And that's just the way it is. It's okay. It's just the way it is. And so when we have that instinct, we're in flow, we have good eye contact. I can smell you, sense you, feel your energy, just like sharks can feel energy. Um, they, the energy or the electric currents draw them to their food, or the bee will go to the flower through infrared. We have other sensing other than our five senses. And so when I have that, my body goes, oh, it's okay. And I naturally have that. And so my clients, when they would come, go, oh, I'm okay. And so they would have more of a a therapeutic experience with me. It wasn't so much about the intervention I'm doing. It was all those pieces of it, which really supported that. And we call that the vibe, like the vibe you create, basically. It's like the colloquial term, right? It's the vibe you create. Yeah. And and that study is how it it truly can. And those, the research that you've done, that truly probably connects to shame because it's about the fear foe or friend and what you feel being around someone and what your neurology is picking up from other people around you. Yes. And when we don't understand something, we shame and blame the things we don't understand or stigmatize it. So when I am on social media and I'm communicating with texts and emails and things, I'm interacting with people, but my brain is not given that information. It is, it is blocked from having its neuroception requirements for social engagement. That causes our brain to activate into survival mode and for us to cover belly. You know, like, oh, something's wrong. Mm. What's wrong? 
And that compels us to lean in and try to gather what's wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's we start gathering the, what is the evidence that something's wrong? Reading into words, reading into things, and you can't have tone or anything like that. Wow. Yes. Start comparing, you start personalizing, you start building up stories that people aren't returning my message because they don't like me. And we now know the algorithm. Actually, what got me thinking about this in the very first time was I was in a group on Instagram of other providers, like a back channel group, and we were messaging each other and they were having a conversation and I was talking to them and nobody was acknowledging that I was talking to them. And I started to feel uncomfortable. I started to feel like all that stuff kicked in. They don't like me. They, what I'm saying isn't important. You know, why I didn't understand why are they not responding? So the scientists in me say, I'm going to research this. So I screenshotted the conversation and I messaged the, one of the providers and I said, are you seeing my comments? And she screenshotted hers and sent it to me. And my, my comments were missing in the thread but I wasn't informed about that. So every like one, every third comment or fifth comment was put into the group discussion. So it messes with your head. It's like Instagram literally intentionally messed and manipulated my private back, you know, what they call it DMS, my private DMS with other people. And so it immediately caused me because it violated my rules of social engagement. That's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to read a comment and not acknowledge it. So when that happened, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. I go into shame response. I start digging for information to confirm it. And there we go in the shame spiral. So I really want to help people understand that it doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to have unresolved issues. You don't have to have been shamed as a child Mm -hmm. or um, have a shame-bound identity or insecurities. And this is how we stigmatize it. And I see a lot of life coaches and people on social media going, um, if people don't make you feel good, get rid of them. If you are triggered, you know, don't be triggered, don't compete, stay in your lane, you know, as if it's this choice and they're not understanding that it is a neurological reflex with the right variables under the right condition. Mm-hmm. And none of us will all fall victim wow. of it. So I want to educate. I can't, I can't, and I can't wait that. to, I can't wait to watch it or listen oh, to it. Thanks. Um, yeah. You know, just to wrap up, because we're running out of time, yes. um, could you let us know how to get in contact with you? What are some places and what are some things you, that are, you're working on right now that are coming out soon? Yes, thank you. So my handle's the same everywhere. So it's Dr. D.R. Sean Horn, S-H-A-W-N and Horn Like a Trumpet. And so I am everywhere on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I I'm, I'm, haven't been Twittering very much, but I'm also on YouTube. I have a channel there. And I am launching the, um, I have my podcast too, Inspired Living Podcast. I'm launching the Inspired Living School where I want to offer a a bigger audience, things I offer my clients in my practice, the skills training, the DVT skills I offer, the shame, healing from shame that I offer. And so I'm at, I'm creating that right now. I'm, I'm doing all the videos. It's in motion and it's going to go live this year. So I'm having people come on over to my website, drshawnhorn.com and sign up so that when it goes live, they can get some of those courses as well. Awesome. That's <clears throat> and awesome. I, I had an opportunity. I was interviewed on a document coming out on uh, religious shame or religious trauma 
And it's specifically a document on the LGBTQ plus community mm. who are um, faith-based people who had to leave their religious organizations because of their um, their being LGBTQ and, and so forth. And so this organization was uh, created by parents who were Christians, who had a son who was a Christian, who committed suicide because he was not accepted by the church. And so they said, why do you have to, you can't be a Christian and, and also be gay. And so they created this group called Wonderfully Made. It's Wonderfully Made Northwest. And they're doing a documentary with people who are faith-based, who have different identities in that collective group to talk about their experience. And they Mm -hmm. had me come on and talk about shame. So in light of that, I decided to create a course on healing from religious trauma and that I hope to go live uh, March 13th, but it might be a couple of weeks out from that. But that's my first course I'm putting out there just so it's in, it releases the same time as the documentaries coming out. Awesome. That's so exciting. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for taking the time. I know uh, we, we both have busy schedules and trying to figure out is, uh, so I'm really honored to have you on. And it was so great to be on your podcast it was um, honor, and uh, this friendship that we created and yes. hopefully continues for many, many years to, to make big change in the world. And I wish you all the best and uh, see everyone next week on the Do Thank Therapist you. podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Dude Therapist, where we had Dr. Sean Horn truly digging into and getting through what shame is all about and how to start healing with shame and living our lives. It was so amazing having her on. Follow her, check her out, and as always, rate and subscribe to the podcast. Share it. Let me know what you're thinking. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, comments, collaborations, or any thoughts, email me at thedudetherapistgmail.com or DM me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Don't forget to be kind to yourself and to others. See you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.